Well, we are so thrilled at One Country Project to introduce uh, to uh, the country and certainly to all of our faithful podcast listeners at The Hot Dish, uh, the latest and uh, uh, perhaps the best uh, member of our advisory board, Secretary Mike Espy, um, who has, a has had a storied career in the state of Mississippi, uh, a state that uh, um, I think um, someday will be the next, uh, hopefully, Georgia um, for the Democratic <laughs> Party. But um, they, they won't do it without uh, listening to amazing leaders like Secretary Espy. And so, Secretary Espy, welcome to the uh, Hot Dish, and more importantly, welcome to the Board of Directors of One Country. Senator, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm glad to be on Hot Dish and uh, very, very proud to be your newest board member of the One Country Project. I'm the newest, the latest, but uh, I differ when you said I'm the best. I think I'm looking at the best right now. You oh, get it. I've, been, I've been following your work and I'm very impressed and that's why I wanted to be a part of what you're trying to accomplish. Well, I want to want to talk about kind of your career in Mississippi as you've looked at changes over the last, boy, you've been at it almost as long as I have, 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, you've been involved in politics. And um, if you can just give us a, maybe a rundown on your, your bio, um, uh, jobs that you've held and positions you've held, but more importantly, we really want to get your perspective on how the the state of Mississippi has changed and what you've seen over your period of time in the ups and downs. Thank you. I'll, I'll give a very brief summary. I'm one of those um, post-Brown v. Board of Education babies uh, in the sense that I graduated from high school, you know, about 15 years after Brown v. Board, but in Mississippi, it was never enforced. So I was one of those uh, students from in my junior year of high school that integrated an all-white public high school. It was, uh, there were 17 African-American students among a student body of 800. It, it was very rough, very rough. Um, if uh, I thought the N-word was my middle name, you know, every day I heard it even from teachers. And so uh, it just, uh, I, I was just so um, traumatized, if you will, by that whole experience. I decided that once I graduated from high school, I would leave Mississippi and I would never return. So I left high, uh, after graduation in 1971, I went to Howard University in Washington, had a lovely time there. And then I decided to become a lawyer. Uh, and I, again, not returning to Mississippi, uh, I went to law school in California at the University of Santa Clara, a full scholarship. And uh, I intended just to become a California lawyer. But my father died. And uh, my mother was alone, so I returned to Mississippi you know, after law school, and I've been here ever since. So in the period of time, you know, from uh, then until now, I've been, uh, I started out practicing law with legal services, mostly in the rural areas. Uh, and then I decided to get into government. I was the first African-American to become assistant secretary of state, the first African-American to become assistant attorney general. I decided to run for Congress uh, in 1986 in a, in a district that um, uh, no African-American ever won before since Reconstruction. And I defeated a two-term Republican in a, in a district that was not majority Black in 1986. 
and I served as a member of Congress from the Mississippi Delta, a very rural district from 1986 to 1992. And then uh, I got to know Bill Clinton, helped him uh, run for president, and uh, he nominated me for Secretary of Agriculture. So I, I decided to resign my seat and, and to do that. And I was the uh, Secretary of Agriculture for two years, uh, 1992, 1993. Uh, and then I left there uh, to return to Mississippi for private practice. And uh, I've done a number of different things on different boards uh, until now. Uh, and so more recently, I decided to jump back into politics. I ran for the U.S. Senate uh, to try to get to where you were uh, in 2018. And uh, that was a special election that Cochran had, had died and uh, we decided to run then. I thought I was a natural successor to Thad Cochran, to be honest. Thad was moderate, Thad was reasonable, Thad dealt with everyone regardless of race, Thad was forward thinking. And I, I honestly, uh, I thought I would be his natural successor but and, and if I, I can, Democrat. Yeah, if I can say something about uh, Senator Cochran. Yes. Um, you know, when when people have the expression "Southern gentleman," mm -hmm. that was um, uh, just a just a, a an amazing uh, storied career. But uh, you know, you look at people like Senator Cochran and you wonder whatever happened to um, what happened. Yeah, because, but I, I agree uh, with you. I, absolutely. I he was a dear friend of mine, but more than that, he supported uh, a program here in Mississippi. I'm, I'm the chairman of a, uh, a CDFI board, Community Development Financial Institution. It's a, it's a $400 million enterprise. I don't get anything. I'm not paid, but I'm the chairman. And we fund uh, mortgages for low-income persons, businesses in the Delta, we build, uh, we build um, medical centers for medically underserved areas, schools. And uh, a lot of our money comes from the treasury department. And so every year we would go to Thad Cochran for his singular appropriations. Yeah. Uh, and so he was always a supporter of efforts to build wealth, build, uh, build uh, education, uh, build, promote information in the low information, low income areas in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Arkansas. That's the enterprise that I hit. And um, I just got to know him. And when he died, I, I just figured, okay, here's an opportunity to try to further his work uh, as another, if you will, Southern gentleman. So I ran for the U.S. Senate uh, in the special election. We did well. Uh, we got 44.7% of a statewide vote in Mississippi, even though we could only run eight months. Uh, and uh, and we did so well, I thought I'd try it again in the regular term, which was 2020. Uh, we fell a little shorter at 40, uh, 40, 44, 44% this time. But, uh, you know, I have no misgivings. We had a robust effort. We raised enough money. But the turnout in Mississippi, like the turnout across the nation, was whopping. Uh, we had the highest turnout in Mississippi's history on November 3rd, 2020, where yours truly received more votes than any Democrat who had ever run for any office in Mississippi's history. Uh, we won four counties with Donald Trump. So it was Donald Trump, Mike Espy, in four of the 82 counties. 
uh, a lot of crossover votes for our effort, uh, more Republican votes for the SP Senate race than, um, than any Democrat who had ever run for Senate in the nation except Steve Bullock and Doug Jones. And I'm African-American and I was not an incumbent. So we, we feel good about the crossover message, which uh, segues into what we're trying to do with the One Country Project to show that we're all one, you know, the rural areas and the, uh, the areas that I'm very familiar with are more unhealthy, more, more uneducated, uh, less, less, um, less able to, to go for their COVID shot for, for many reasons. And so I wanna be part of the message, part of the embracing message to unite the country into one. And that's why I wanted to join your board. Well, one of the one of the things that I think um, we hope to do in uh, one with one country is to dispel some of the myths about rural America. You know, rural America is all white. Rural America is all you know um, racist. Rural America is is uh, um, is a place where uh, people don't share kind of um, national values, you know, so, so I think that when you look at our board of directors and you look at the work that we've done and you, you do the work that we've done and the work that you did running in Mississippi, um, you listen. That's the biggest part of a campaign is listening to what people have to say. Yes. And certainly you're no stranger to rural Mississippi. So what are, what's rural Mississippi saying and what did they say in your 18 campaign and how can the Democratic Party be more responsive to, um, uh, to those concerns? Well, I agree with you. I can attest to the fact that rural America is not all white. If you just look at Mississippi, uh, Mississippi uh, has the largest black voter um, percentage in the United States. Right now, we're right at um, 39%. Uh, we estimate that within five years, it's going to be 42, 43%. Uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a good harbinger of the future uh, to be able to elect someone that can uh, build a base within the black community and then have a message that causes um, enough uh, white voters to, to cross over and vote, vote for that person. Uh, so, I mean, Mississippi is right in there, but it's rural. And, um, you know, the rural demographic is usually lower educated, you know, uh, the um, very difficult when it comes to transportation. Um, it's just, it's just uneconomic, you know, and uh, that, uh, that has a lot of difficulties in motivating people to come out to vote. And again, if you look at uh, who will make themselves able for a COVID shot, in America, if Joe Biden wants 70%, if he's targeting 70% of um, Americans to have received at least one shot by July 4th, well, if you look at urban America and suburban America, he can get there. But if you look at rural America, he's woefully behind. And that's just a, a, a product of low information where people believe all these rumors uh, and these, uh, uh, you know, ideas that, that taking a shot is somehow going to make them sicker, uh, that they're immune from the virus. And uh, these are all the ideas that we see in rural America, which we can overcome with uh, science, but with a message that we can put out with one you know, with, with our organization that, that uh, just says we're all one 
and we need to follow the, the, the scientists. So as someone who was sector of agriculture and the mayor of rural America, I wanted to make sure that rural America has the same opportunities as suburban and urban America. Uh, when I was sector of agriculture, uh, many places in rural America I had no running water, no potable running water. And so we started a program called Water 2000. And so even though I wasn't there, when we got to the end goal, just about every place in America now without running water now has it. So we need to build the infrastructure. We need to make sure that we have broadband connections to every area at the last mile and do everything in rural America that urban uh, urbanites enjoy. And that's why I want to be a part of this. Well, I'm, I'm very excited uh, because I think you bring that amazing experience of having served as Secretary of Agriculture, having run in a state that people think is impossible. You know, that, that will never happen. And one of the things that, um, one of our guiding principles at One Country is that, um, that any state, it's possible for Democrats to get elected if they understand the state and if they are promoting the right policies. But yes. we also have to have the right message. Um, and so one of the issues, uh, Mike, that we hear way often is, look, rural America will never vote for Democrats because Democrats don't share their cultural values or their, you know, kind of their, their human values, religious values. What do, you, what do you say to people who say, well, you know, that's a lost cause. You'll never get rural America to vote for a Democrat again. Well, I mean, again, I'm an example. We ran twice, and, and to get to 46.4% uh, of the vote in, in Mississippi, you know, even this is my 2018 campaign, we only had about eight months to run uh, from the time that Cochran resigned. So, you know, and the, the, our main message, uh, you know, back then it was a special election. So even though most people know that I'm a Democrat, there was no party line or no party, uh, you know, uh, on the ballot. So I was just running as Mike Espy. And I actually think that it helped me because in 2020, I was Mike Espy, the Democrat. And a lot of people saw that D and they didn't bond to that brand. And I think I, that, that turned to me anyway. So I was able, I believe I was able to get my message out a little bit better uh, in 18 than in 20 because I didn't have that, 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 that moniker. And our main message, was all around healthcare, honestly. Um, and there was no COVID-19 uh, in 2018, but most people realized that they had, uh, that, that they were unhealthy uh, and they were very low income and that our rural hospitals were closing. In 2018 in Mississippi, we had had five rural hospitals close within the last seven years uh, because of the uncompensated care. You know, when the low income go to the hospitals, the hospitals would have, would, would be obligated to take care of them, but there was no uh, money forthcoming to pay that bill. And so my thing was uh, Medicaid expansion, Medicaid expansion. And, and uh, uh, we've seen polls here in Mississippi that Medicaid expansion is enjoyed by 70 or 72% of the population. Uh, so if our local politicians, most of whom are Republican, would just um, disassociate themselves from the Obamacare aspect of it, I think we could get this passed. 
So what I'm saying is that we need to find the, uh, the, the issues that will resonate with those in rural America. More resources for education, more resources for health, like Medicaid expansion to keep these rural hospitals open. And once we do that, even if you are a Democrat, that is a, a unifying message and one that we could sell. Well, I mean, you know, the frustrating thing is you take a look at the COVID relief package that was passed in the Biden administration, supported by the overwhelming majority of Americans. Um, you know, they don't, but, but, but they don't associate that with the Democratic Party. Yes. Um, you know, every Republican voted against it. And, and so, you know, we, we think, and I think it's fair to say that we've got the right policies, whether it's expanding broadband, whether it's looking at rural infrastructure, whether it's Medicare, uh, Medicaid expansion, you know, all of those programs that give people uh, a, a step up, that create that opportunity because they can be healthier. Their kids can start out with a better education with pre-K um, when we fund it. They, I mean, just, just all of those programs, but yet, that that we think exemplify the Democratic Party, but that's not what people hear or see when they think about a Democrat. And you know, I think uh, your experience is no different than mine or Joe Donnelly's in terms of overcoming the brand. So here's the tough question, because it's not likely that you and I are going to become Republicans. That's not right. how we think, um, and it's not the policies that we think work for America. But um, how do we overcome that brand identity that people have with the Democratic Party, whether it's socialism or defund the police or, you know, kind of more, more radical, you know, uh, uh, kinds of policies that, that frustrate people? How do we overcome that? That is a tough question, honestly. Uh, I think it's going to take time. I think it's going to um, take, uh, take, take, more appeal to the younger uh, demographic. Uh, honestly, it, here in Mississippi, if you are in your 70s on your late 60s and you've been voting Republican all that time, you know you're you're not going to be predisposed to open up to um, to a message that you've been uh, ignoring and spurning for decades and and more. Uh, but but uh, we see here in Mississippi as we, as um, the economy grows, uh, as incomes increase, as education levels uh, uh, expand uh, to higher and higher levels, uh, if we get more flavor of suburban cultures, uh, um, enclaves around the cities like Jackson and the university towns, uh, we see a more appreciation for these uh, the, 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 the issues that are generally branded as democratic more money for education, more money for broadband, more money for health. Uh, and all we have to do is, is uh, just keep putting the message out there and maybe focus it a little bit more toward age and culture. Yeah. Uh, I think once we do that, then little by little, we will uh, we'll, we'll begin to break, break over. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think that when we look at culture, uh, <clears throat> you know, the culture of equality, Mm -hmm. That is a value that I think every Democrat shares, that, that we all start from different places, but, the, that, but you can't have, have people having to climb big mountains to, to yes. get to, yes. yeah, you know, we, we've got to level the playing field for everyone. Um, we, we, and, and those of us who started 
um, from a from a place where um, you know we had a little bit more advantage. In my case, it wasn't economic. Yeah. Uh, certainly, certainly being white in America um, yes. is is the first advantage that I had, and then having parents who valued education and who who um, you know were were stable and and important influences in my life. I count my blessings. I you know. Warren Buffett always says, you know, you win the ovarian lottery, right? Yeah. You're, you, you, you don't right. know who, which family you're going to get. And that right. makes a big difference. And, right. and so my, my, my final question to you is, um, if you could give a message to Jamie Harrison, who I think is trying really hard um, to be inclusive and, and to look at 50 states, if you could send a message to Nancy Pelosi or to... Um, uh, President Biden or to uh, Chuck Schumer about Mississippi and about rural Mississippi, what would that message be? It would be not to ignore Mississippi. It would be to uh, make sure that uh, you can allocate resources uh, for political infrastructure and to do it early. Don't wait until October or November you know, when the, 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 the election is right upon us, you, you have to do it two years ahead of time to build up the uh, voting base, to build up the, the data centers, to make sure you can already touch those who are going to be knocking on doors and to do it early. You know, it's, um, uh, they always wait until you can prove that you're viable, but it's very difficult to prove yourself viable if they, if you, if they wait so long to help you uh, elevate your viability. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a perverse formula uh, that uh, they that you're waiting on the come. So if they were just Jamie Harrison and and the rest, if they were just and I think Jamie, you know, ran in South Carolina. He certainly knows this. Just early money, early support, building early the infrastructure we need to to get the black vote out. I mean. Uh, Mississippi is the last state in the nation. In fact, I found out yesterday that the precinct data has now been loaded into the van. And here it is, June 9th, you know? And elsewhere in the nation, every other state already has the, the van loaded. And I want to know, uh, Senator, who voted for Mike Espy, you know, in, in a certain precinct, if this was an African-American precinct. I want to know that. So now that we found out yesterday, I'm able to use whatever resources we have left to generate a report to guide someone else who may be running for the Senate in, in years to come. And I'm committed to doing that. So, so we just last, we're least, we have less. And if uh, I could give a message to those in Washington who might have resources on a national basis, do not ignore rural America, do not ignore Mississippi. Chuck Schumer gave, uh, gave an interview and he said, Mississippi could be the next Georgia, like you said. We're, we're not as urban. Uh, we're not as modernized, if you will. We don't have tourism like Georgia. We don't have the education levels like Georgia, but we have the largest African-American voting base in the nation. So we could just energize them to come. And the problem is that they're rural. Uh, and uh, they're from areas that are very difficult sometimes they even get to the polls. They don't have a grocery store. Um, they're not motivated. So we can get them and get a neighbor to knock on the door a year ahead of time, let them know someone's running a year later. We, we can do much better. 
So I, I can't let you go without telling uh, a Mississippi story. And it's a story that I've told um, for probably almost now uh, 23 years. It's um, Mike uh, Moore, uh, former attorney general from Mississippi, dear friend of mine, um, was the head of the National Association of Attorneys General. We were attorneys general together. Yes. It was right after a horrible shooting in Pearl, Mississippi at your high school. And he invited, he, he asked me to chair a committee on school violence. And uh, this was right, actually he asked for that committee after Pearl and it was before Columbine. Columbine yeah. happened after Pearl. It was and, Luke, and the loop, the loop Wyndham was the, was yep. the shooter, yep. Yep, and, and um, I went to, uh, he, had, he had arranged to have young people there. And there were the young people from the prep school, of course, all white. And then there was the, uh, the kids from Old Miss, all black. And yeah. then there were little kids there um, from junior high and from elementary school. And Mike asked a simple question. He said, why, why y'all hurting each other? Hmm. And um, all the prep school kids raised their hands, socioeconomic, they had every theory under the, under the roof. And um, you know, all kind of boilerplate. And then this very large football player from Old Miss, probably played in the pros, mm -hmm. um, raised his hand and I thought, this is gonna be interesting. And he looked down at all those little kids, said, I never met any of you, but I know I love you. And he looked at the prep school kids, said, I, I, I don't know any of you, but I know I love you. And I don't know why people hurt each other. Mm -hmm. And I tell that story because I say, all the knowledge in the world doesn't replace wisdom. Mm -hmm. But that young man was wise beyond his years. He understood this was about respect. He understood that this was about unifying to a common purpose of respect and honoring each other. And, um, and, and he taught me more that day yeah. about, about how we need to approach um, how we look at things. And, and I think when we lead with those values of equality and love and, and you know, kind of coming together and um, uh, you know, helping each other, those are unifying values in America, but it's a lesson that I learned from a very wise young man from the state of Mississippi. And I'll you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deducing from your story of who that young man was. Um, during that period of time, uh, I'm very familiar with Old Miss, my son used to play there. But um, back during that period of time, it was probably Ben Williams. It might have ben, been. Ben Williams, yes. Uh, he went he on was very play. large. He went on to play with the Buffalo Bills. Yes. Okay, yes. I should yes. look him up. And I should really was, drop him a note yeah. and, and was, find uh, out if that was him. Because I have told that story. Yes, yes. Every, I mean, when I, when I speak to people about politics and, and about, you know, because I think Democrats tend to be very evidence-based, very data-driven. And, and I think one thing, and, and that's who I am. I tend to yes. be evidence-based, data-driven. You know, I want I want all of my all of my knowledge, all of the studies, and um, it really gave me that aha moment that yes. when we, we we lose the forest for the trees. And um, he, he was he was an amazing young man, and I'll never forget that moment. And I'll never forget thinking Mississippi will always be on my map because yeah. they raised a they raised a son of Mississippi who was that wise. He is from my hometown. He's from is my he hometown. Really? Yeah, that's why we know him well. And he was uh, he was elected Mr. Ole Miss. Oh, really? The first, first African American they ever you know uh, be, that, that 
have that title. So yeah, that sounds like that would be Ben Williams. I've got to I've got to get back and find yes. out maybe okay. call ask Mike if he remembers that this right. kid. But yeah. Yeah. Um, you know it was it was very moving and and I think um, you know Mississippi. You look at Mississippi and you look at North Dakota, two completely different states, but two states that are part of this union and two states that share the same values uh, and those are American values. And yes. when we can reflect those American values um, through the One Country Project, I think we will see success, not just for our political party, but more importantly for this country. And you are gonna be part of that, my friend. I'll, I'll take on their responsibility to help you and help the others become, uh, become one country, truly one country, not as polarized as as our recently we've seen. Yeah, well, God love you, Thank Secretary. You. And uh, you have a lovely rest of your week. And we look forward to your wisdom and your advice and um, your, your energy coming to one country. Thanks so Thank much. You. Let me be a part of it. <laughs>